This is CliffCentral.com. Good afternoon. My name is Mabale Moloi. Welcome to it. Uh, busy show lined up for you as always uh, this afternoon because it is Halloween coming up this weekend. It is on the 31st of August. And I understand that there may be not a lot, a lot of us South Africans who, you know, care that much about Halloween. It's not really a big thing here. It's, it's more of a bigger deal in a place like the United States. But there are um, several events that do get uh, planned around Halloween. Um, you know, they, they get incorporated into uh, gigs at clubs. It's always fun to have, you know, um, hot young people uh, dressed up you know, in in scantily clad outfits for the ladies and then also maybe just ridiculous outfits for the men. Uh, Michael Flax on our show was talking about how he is going to dress up as some kind of police officer in very tight uh, short shorts and um, like a midriff top exposing his, you know, his his hairy bits. It's all very disturbing. But that's the kind of thing that happens around Halloween. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Cybono, the Cybono Discovery Center, they do a lot of great work at Cybono. Um, you know, they, their aim is to get children to be more interested in fields of science, technology, and mathematics, and to get rid of the fear that is sometimes associated with, um, with, with, you know, around maths and science and that kind of thing. So we're going to be talking to the CEO of Cybono. Uh, her name is Deboho Gulej, and she's going to give us more information with regards to this Halloween event that they've got planned for the kids this weekend. And then after that, um, you know, it's a very critical time for us as a country. Just uh, just a couple of days ago, we, got, we received word that the unemployment rate in this country now stands at 25.5%, which is a very grave concern. And, um, you know, the, the job market, the job space is a tricky one indeed. You know, there are a lot of things that you need to deal with as an employer and an employee, uh, things like strike action and things like uh, being retrenched. Uh, so we're going to be uh, speaking to... Um, Andrew Davies. Now he's going to join us and he's going to be giving us pointers and, you know, helping us out with information with regards to how to deal with things such as strikes and retrenchments, uh, whether you're an employee or an employer. So stick around for that. Um, if you'd like to be a part of the conversation, then I do, I would like to hear from you. You can tweet us, um, at Cliff Central. You can also message us straight through to WeChat on our Cliff Central account. Uh, we are Cliff Central on WeChat. Or if you, you know, if you feel very strongly about, uh, something particular and you just want to get it off your chest, then you can, you can phone, phone me in the studio. Um, 0861 is the answer. So let me talk to Debucho right now. And as I mentioned, she is with Cybono Discovery Center in Johannesburg. Uh, good afternoon, Debucho. Can you hear me? Deborah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you? Yes, I can. Fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us your time this afternoon. Uh, Deborah, let's, let's talk about the Cybono Discovery Center and maybe let's begin with, um, you know, um, how, how many, how many years now you guys have been in existence and maybe, you know, specifically for people who might not be aware of what the Discovery Center does and the, the, the kind of work that you, that you're aiming to do. Okay. Um, we've been in existence since 2004. Um, we are located at the, a, a new town in an area that used to be the electric workshop. So just not too far from the marketing is where you will find the Cybono Discovery Center. And what we do at Cybono is um, the, um, teaching science in a way that is not intimidating, in a way that is fun, and in a way that makes it more accessible to everybody. So the center is really around 
um, making the, the teaching and the learning of science much easier. And of course, we also want to make the public aware about any other scientific interesting things that are happening. Um, Debucho, we do know that there is a, um, you know, there's a very small number of students and learners in this country who, you know, who do take up maths and science. Um, and incorporated into their educational structure to then use it in their careers. Uh, where does this fear come from, this idea that maths and science and those kinds of fields fields are difficult? And, you know, I, I suppose this is where you guys come in, is trying to get children to be more confident within themselves and their ability to be able to deal with these subjects. Yeah, I think we, uh, when we are growing up, we are, we are, we, when we grow up, we are made to believe that um, math and science are only meant for specific types of kids. You know, those kids that only get the A's and they only end up in the A class, those are the only kids that can uh, do science. When in actual fact, anyone can do science. As long as you've got someone who can teach you and you can understand the concept in a way that is not so intimidating. So it's the way that science is presented to us that intimidates us and the fact that we have been told that you cannot do science. And what we try and say at Saibono is actually you can do science and come let us show you how we is our way of teaching you science and the mathematics and the different concepts in science is to make it so much fun that you cannot not continue loving science. We get you excited about science. All right. Um, let's talk about this weekend then. Uh, I did mention that it is Halloween and you guys at Saibono do have a special event planned. So fill us in on exactly what people can expect if they want to be a part of this Halloween event that you guys have organized. Okay. Like you were just saying before, is that for most people, science is intimidating, it's scary and all of that. So, you know, Halloween also represents those things. It's a scary holiday. It's spooky. And we want to say to people, actually, you know, the stuff that you believe about Halloween that is scary, it's the same things that people believe about science. Why don't you come to the center, dress in your Halloween costume, we'll have you come into the center for free only for this Saturday you can come into the center for free. And let's, let us demystify, let us convince you that actually science is not as scary as you think. And like you would have fun with Halloween, come and have fun with science. And are there any specific activities that you have planned around this Halloween event? Um, the, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, there's going to be a number of workshops. The kids will get to play with gooey stuff, you know, that, but you know, there's, there'll be a lot of science behind it. So gooey stuff will inter- interrogate, you know, the scary sounds that are associated with scary and frightening things. We'll interrogate those sounds using, um, scientific concepts, and we'll also have a science show. So we're going to play with chemicals, we're going to play with physics, but, you know, related to some of the scary things that people can relate to. Now, Debucho, you as a discovery center, I imagine you open for most part of the year, if not, you know, um, all year around. Um, I mean, how have you seen the the growth in terms of number of children who are interested in science, maths, and technology change since your center started back in 2004? It's growing, not as much as we would like it to grow. But um, it, it, the, the, the trend is definitely uh, showing an upward upward mobility, but maybe the percentages are still small. Maybe we have maybe 10, 15 percent growth. We're still not getting as much as we would like to get um, out of out of the science stream. And 
the initiatives that we drive and the programs that we run are basically to say, for instance, we get you excited about science. So if you come and play at our science center, we can get you excited about science. We then have programs to support you as you study science. So in your, in your formal curriculum work, we have programs to support you through your curriculum work. And when, and, and, and when we, Saibona also has um, a career center qualified education psychologists and psycho- psychometrists that can take you through career parting of, you know, if you were to choose science as a career, these are the options that are available to you. So there is growth, but it's still not as, as, as much as we would like to see. Dabakho, let's talk about the differences between um, young boys and young girls, because I have often read literature from studies that suggest um, you know, that boys seem to show more of an interest in, you know, fields like maths and science and that there's also there's sometimes this drive uh, to get young girls to be a lot more confident and to be interested. Um, do you do you see a similar trend with regards to the, the kind of turnout that you see um, from the kids visiting your your discovery center? No, not at all. In fact, it's, 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 it's pretty much half half. Mm. We're seeing just as many girls. As there are boys coming into the center, we're seeing just as many girls going into careers in science as we do the boys. So that may have been true a couple of years ago, but definitely the tide is changing and we're seeing more of a balance between the boys and the girls that that go into science. Well, that's fantastic news. And in terms of the age group of the kids that can come to Saibono and, you know, sort of interact with the exhibits and uh, get informed and educated and that kind of thing, what is the, the range of the age group that, that, you, that you see coming to your center and that you cater to? Um, we cater to everybody. So you can come with your grandma and your grandpa and grandma and grandpa have an exhibit that speaks to them. You can come with your teenage brother or sister They'll find exhibits and, and activities that speak to them. You can even come with your three-year-old and your two-year-old. They'll find activities that will excite them about science. The whole idea of a science center is to make science accessible to everybody. So we, we don't limit who comes into the center, but we, what we do is to cater for each and every age in the center. So anyone can come to the center, any age group. All right, Debucho, it all sounds like a lot of fun. So just remind us again, uh, for those of us who are interested, when exactly it's going to be happening, the times, the day, uh, the venue where you guys are located, and also if people would like to get more information, uh, where can they go to on, on the Internet? Okay, so let's start here. The center is open seven days a week. So anytime you can come, it's open seven days a week. Secondly, we have a special event tomorrow, 31st of October, uh, sorry, Saturday, 31st of October, we are opening the center. It's for free, and your only entrance, the only ticket you need to get into the center for free on Saturday is to be dressed uh, in your Halloween costume. And then third, if you want more information about the programs that we offer, how you can get involved, how you can be part of those programs, just go into our website, www.saibono, so it's sci-bono.co.za. 
Fantastic. We well, thank you very much for your time. That is Chief Operating Officer at the Cybono Discovery Center, Debucho Gule, just giving us more information there with regards to the Halloween event happening this Saturday, as you heard for yourself. Um, get your costume on and you get free access and you can exhibit, you know, you can interact with all kinds of exhibits there. Uh, there's going to be all types of workshops. Uh, it's all about making science less scary. Science, maths and technology. Great, uh, great initiative by the Cybono Discovery Center. Um, in a little while, we're going to deal with a very important, very relevant and very serious issue of retrenchments and strikes. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, the job space, the job market these days, a very, um, a, 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 a very shaky one. You know, you, I, I don't imagine that there are a lot of people who are employed who feel a hundred percent safe in their position of employment these days, um, if you compare it to maybe uh, several years ago. So we're going to talk about um, how both employers and employees can navigate uh, the tricky situation of strike actions. We're going to look at how these kinds of events impact uh, work productivity, how they can impact you personally as an employee um, who, who suffers the ramifications of that kind of thing. And then we're also going to talk about retrenchments and uh, you know how you can arm yourself and protect yourself as an employee to know your rights and how to deal with, with these kinds of situations. And then also how to uh, manage these types of situations, um, you know, sensitively, so to speak, as an employee. So stay with us here on cliffcentral.com. I'm Mabale Moloy. Our clients are the lifeblood of our business, and keeping their data safe is critical. I'm worried that client data in the wrong hands could cost us. With MTN Business Cloud powered by Microsoft Technology, your data is secured in world-class data centers based in South Africa. It's always available, backed up, and complies with South African laws, ensuring that you and your clients are always protected. With a footprint covering 23 countries, isn't it time you found out about a cloud solution built to build African businesses? Welcome to the new world of business. CliffCentral.com with myself, Mabale Muloy, joining me now in studio to get into the very serious, uh, very necessary conversation of dealing with strikes and retrenchments in the workplace, whether you're an employer or an employee, how to navigate these tricky situations, how to protect yourself as an employee, um, how to make sure that your, ni- your rights are not being violated in any way, and then also how to deal with the very serious impacts of losing your job. Um, it has a domino effect on you personally, um, on your self-esteem, on your responsibilities, uh, depending on which which role you play in, in your family. And I've got Andrew Davies joining me from ICAS South Africa, which is a leading health and employee wellness provider. Andrew, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. All right, Andrew, well, let me begin by asking you to uh, elaborate more on ICAS and what exactly it is that your organization does. Thank you. Uh, ICAS is a behavioral risk management company. Essentially, it's it's uh, there to help organizations to deal with the risks that employees pose uh, through their personal problems and practical issues and concerns. And the primary vehicle through which it does that is to run employee assistance programs. Okay, and it is, I mean, it is a global corporation as far as yes. I understand, right? I mean, how many countries does it operate in? Do you, do you so, have that information? Yeah, it's a global organization. We operate in 36 countries throughout the world. Okay. Um, health and employee wellness provider. Uh, is, this a, is this a relatively new kind of phrase or a new kind of term or, you know, is this the kind of thing that, um, that people have been doing for, for decades now in, in, in terms of what you do specifically? 
It has been around for for some time, but I think increasingly, uh, originally employee health and well-being was really seen as a tears and tissue welfare type of service, uh, part of an organization's duty of care responsibility. But increasingly, organizations are now realizing that unhappy and unhealthy employees are not very productive. So having services in place that help them to deal with all the barriers and obstacles to their productive employment uh, certainly helps the bottom line of the organization. So it's more of a commercial imperative now. Uh, than uh, simply, as I said, a, a welfare type of issue as uh, it was seen in the past. Um, you will no doubt have seen in the news this week that our employment rate is uh, going back up again, which is very bad news for us as a country. We're now yeah. standing at 25.5%. Yeah. Now, we were discussing among ourselves what solutions we, we need as a country to deal with this um, with the situation and one of the suggestions that was made is that um, we actually need to ha- have more businesses small and medium businesses which would mean that you you're going to have more and more people employing people like somebody like me could end up employing one or two people and so I, I mean how important is it with the work that you do that employees then equip themselves with the necessary information and tools in ensuring that they avoid ending up with a situation where they have disgruntled and unsatisfied employees? It's it's really absolutely critical. Uh, it, it ages me, but when uh, I first qualified and entered the, the work environment, if an organization went through a restructuring that involved retrenchments, it was an embarrassment, an indication that they were in trouble. Um, nowadays, even your top JSC performers are restructuring and retrenching all the time. So no longer um, is it valid to say that employees can trade their loyalty for lifelong employment. That's just not the way of the, the world at the moment. So employees do need to equip themselves with a full basket of skills so that they're able to be employed in the large formal corporate sector or if that doesn't work out that they've got a versatile set of skills that enable them to to pursue more entrepreneurial ventures, uh, their own businesses, um, because I think it's just no longer a, 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 a prevalent that people can can trade loyalty for lifelong employment. That is a good point that you bring up because I think a lot of people when they enter the workplace and they start working, they think that if they remain loyal to the employer and the company, that that is some kind of extra protection for their job. But if I if I'm hearing you correctly, there is no such thing as loyalty in in the place of, of work in, in the business world. I think there is um, I think loyalty counts for something but certainly not trading loyalty for lifelong employment I think that just doesn't happen you know you're younger get a job in the bank my son because uh, you know you'll be looked after for life that doesn't happen organizations are constantly restructuring in order to survive and to compete so um, they just that just doesn't exist anymore uh, I think what it's also done is that the new generation of employee is a lot more selfish in the way in which they look at their careers. And uh, they're constantly looking at upgrading their skills. They're looking at at moving a lot more uh, easily than your older generation employees who have this kind of sense of loyalty. And that's often why entrenchment is so difficult, because they believe they've been betrayed when they lose their jobs. Um Andrew, this this new employee, I mean, some of them could be somebody who didn't necessarily, um, you know, Get you, you know they didn't afford the the benefits and the luxuries of maybe having an education or a tertiary education or whatever the case may be. Um, a lot of these people start with a business idea and then you know they run with it and then they kind of hustle and push and you know. But they they're basically learning as they go along how to be an employer, and so. I mean, this is where your work then is, is, is critical because a lot of the time you might be mistreat, 
mistreating your employees and you may be not necessarily aware of it because you're learning as you go along yourself as a new employer. Yeah, I think what's very important for people that then find themselves in a situation where they're managing other people or employing other people, um, that they have to have a skill set that enables those to get the maximum out of those employees. And that involves treating them with a measure of integrity, um, which is sometimes a rare commodity in today's world. Mm. Um, so, so giving them the skills to deal with that, giving managers the skills to deal with employees properly and to deal with difficult times if they have to, to retrench employees. It's never easy. It's never a nice thing. But you can do it with integrity if you do it properly. Okay, well, let's talk about these retrenchments that you, 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 you've been mentioning restructuring, which is yeah. what companies do. So take us through some of the reasons, some of, you know, like the whole list of reasons why a, a company would retrench. I mean, what, what are some of the reasons for, it, it's almost as if it's like a last resort in, in that instance, but what are some of the reasons behind why companies retrench and let go of people? I think in today's economy, it's actually not a last resort. I think historically that was the case that ultimately organizations have to survive and they have to compete in a global economy, and that's not always easy. And in order to compete, you have to manage your costs. Today's world, people are really your greatest costs. It used to be machinery, but in the modern world, people are your greatest assets. So your biggest cost is people. And so if you in a soft economy like the, the South African economy currently um, – in order to manage your costs, often the first thing that organizations would look at is their, their, their people costs, and that, that's really where they restructure and downsize. So um, economic factors are important, and, and saving on your salary bill is a big factor. Obviously, other factors may well be um, that, uh, you know, you'd, let's say in the commodities industries, you would see a, a, a significant uh, dive in the gold price, and um, you have to then uh, just – shrink your business in order to accommodate that. So you're constantly having to adjust to make sure that you remain competitive. But redundancy is really becoming the new normal, or, or change is becoming the new normal, and redundancy is a consequence of that change. It's not that it's a, an occasional event now. Uh, most large organizations in, in some form or other are, are restructuring all the time. Okay, well, at the end of the day, you know, if you're, an, if you're an employer, you are dealing with people after all. And I can't imagine that it is an easy task having to inform somebody that, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pull the rug right from under your feet right now and tell yeah. you that you no longer have a job. Are there, are there ways, are there tactics, is there a level of sensitivity in dealing and managing with that kind of situation? Yes, it's never nice and never easy to uh, tell somebody that they're losing their job. There are a lot of consequences, and particularly in South Africa where you have the high unemployment rate that you, you referred to. But again, uh, there are good ways and there are bad ways of being able to deal with it, and it can be dealt with uh, with integrity if it's managed properly. If it's properly planned, if there are good reasons for it, it's communicated effectively. And um, employees are also um, made to feel human, um, not that they're now for the scrap heap. And that's where support is often important. So if you've been employed with an organization for some period of time, is the organization assisting them to write CVs, to re-enter the job market, to have opportunities to go for job interviews, sometimes to provide them with some additional training that might allow them to go on and become an entrepreneur. So there's a lot that you can try and do to help manage these corporate refugees, so to speak. Um, one also be needs to bear in mind that the people that are doing the retrenchments, the executioners, uh, also, <laughs> so have to a, speak, yeah. Yeah, also have a tough time. Um, everyone, uh, No one feels sorry for them, but they're often in a tough situation. And um, they, they, they 
acting on instructions from the board or the company owners and they have to get rid of someone uh, that's been a member of their team that they might have a, a good relationship with. So uh, they also need support in managing the situation. It can very easily turn into a volatile situation depending on the kind of emotions that, that, be, that you know, start to um, to 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 become prevalent in the situation. So, if I am now f- dealing with my employer who's just told me that I'm losing my job, what what do I then do? What is what is the first thing that I need to do? How do I? I, I, I mean, often you know people people get dismissed unfairly sometimes, which is where you have structures such as the CCMA to protect the rights of the yeah. of the employee in that instance. But if the organization has followed all the rules and has done, you know, things according to policy and they haven't, you know, haven't been ill-treated in any way, what do I then do as, as somebody who's just been retrenched? I think the first thing is really to realize that retrenchment is part and parcel of today's life. It doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm, I don't have a good set of skills. I haven't performed my job uh, well, uh, that it's, I've been dealt a hand of cards. It's not a great hand, but how I play that hand is really what's important. So the first thing is to say, um, I need to have a versatile portfolio of skills. I need to, to be effective in today's world. I need to be able to adjust to that change and move forward. And what is the skill set that I need in order to go out and find employment? It might be, as you say, um, easier to do that in the informal sector, to start something small myself. What might be that I've got a set of skills that enables me to be employed in the same sector in another sector. And what do I really need to do that? Do I need to, to um, upskill myself a little bit more? Not necessarily by going and getting a, a degree qualification, but perhaps a little bit of training. It might be to become more illiterate, for example. Um, uh, how do I put my CV together? How do I use the experience that I've got? How do I, I um, look at, at finding a job? So, you know, how do I uh, um, do I do that online? How do I uh, dress for a job interview? Basic practical skills on how to re-enter the, the job market. Very often people feel angry, they feel aggrieved, and they feel that they fall the scrap heap and that their life's come to an end, particularly when there are pressures at home, etc., um, from a financial point of view. So the quicker you can adjust to that, you can accept it and, uh, and get back on your horse, uh, the more likely it is that you're going to find alternative employment. Well, let's talk about uh, some of those impacts from being retrenched. I mean, you, m- you mentioned pressure at home. So let's look at some of the impacts, uh, the, the fallout, so to speak, from being retrenched on the individual, on a personal level, the, empl- yeah. the employee. Yeah. Um, it, it differs from person to person. In, in our experience, it's almost the rule of thirds, if I can use that. A, a third of people understand it, accept it. They are a bit miffed, but they move on quite quickly. A third of people are, are um, quite significantly affected by it. They become, in the short term, somewhat depressed, withdrawn. Uh, their financial difficulties or perhaps marital difficulties in the home environment, um, and they struggle, and they often need a little bit of help and support to get back on track. And then there's the bottom third who really become quite immobilized and paralyzed by that and feel that their life has come to an end. They're going to lose their relationship, etc. And they often need um, counseling help and, and support. So it has dire consequences and it depends on your circumstances. If you're already involved in a shaky marriage and you've got some financial difficulties, it might be the last straw. Um, so it, circumstances will often differ. It also depends on your qualification. People often in the, in the um, technology industry might be a lot 
more employable. Whereas in other sectors, for example, mining at the moment, where there have been significant job losses, it's yeah. going to be very, very tough. Uh, also, people live in close proximity to an organization or might have been there for 20 years and their whole social network revolves around work. So it's a loss, not just of a job, but also of friends and colleagues and a way of life. So uh, you really have to look at the circumstances of the individual. Now, uh, you know, you, you, you talk about the, th- the three groups, like one third do this, yeah. one third do that. I mean, if, if, if I'm somebody who has been retrenched and I'm uh, very emotional about the situation and also very angry and wanting to taking, take it out on the person who's just fired me, is, uh, there is no legal recourse to being retrenched, is there? I mean, or, or am I wrong? No, there isn't. As you said earlier, if it's if the company has followed the the correct procedure, uh, they haven't done it in a discriminatory way. So normally, their policies that organisations would use, like LIFO, last in, first out. Um, as long as that's been followed, then there isn't a recourse. It's really about trying to to come to terms with that, and that's where you where you sometimes get a difficulty. So we'll we'll see the uh, pale stale male kind of scenario where um, which we often come across people who let's say are, are men who are in their late fifties who feel in the current economic climate that they now are unemployable mm. and that has profound implications. They've been working in a financial institution, let's say, for the last 30 years and now they feel that this is just not, um, uh, their life's come to an end and that's often a very tough scenario. And they probably feel like there is no place for them in this ever-changing country of ours. Absolutely. All right, well, let's look at the impact um, on, on, the, on the business, on the company, on the em- employer. Um, now you've just let go of hundreds of people. Uh, what kind of impact does it have on you going forward uh, in terms of productivity, in, t- in terms of you know, getting the, the energy levels back up again with yeah. your remaining employees? Yeah. It's a very important point, and a lot of organizations, I think, don't give due consideration to that. They simply look at cutting the salary bill to save a cost, and they don't always look at the consequence of that. And they believe that the remaining employees, I would call them the working wounded, um, uh, should be grateful because they've kept their jobs. But very often they, they're not. They, um, they have to deal, um, they have to do a lot more with less. They feel very um, insecure about whether they're going to remain in the organization after the way the company's treated their, their, their colleagues. So they're demotivated um, and, uh, and they really need a lot of effort or a lot of effort needs to be put into team building, into reestablishing. Um, their, their commitment to the organization. So one mustn't just make the assumption that once the, the, the employees have left the organization, that those remaining will pull together and, and make a success of it. A lot of work needs to go into making sure that the company is well-structured, that you deal with the absence of those that have left, and, um, and that if it is made to, to restructure the teams and, and build a, a good team spirit. All right, Andrew. Let's let's take a look at at strikes, strike action. Um, it's yeah. it's a it's a very familiar uh, process for us in in South Africa. Um, but I'm I'm wondering if there's any way that you, as an employer, can see a strike, a possible strike looming. And if so, is how do you then stop it before it completely spills over and becomes an uncontrollable situation? Is there a way to to tell that? Oh, oh, things are about to get really, really ugly now. Um, it's a tough question to 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 answer, but. 
by definition, a strike is really a, a refusal to work as a form of protest mm. um, to try and achieve some kind of concession. And normally there's an indication of that. It obviously depends on whether it's a unionized environment or not, but normally normally um, strikes occur in that type of environment. And uh, it's normally when wage negotiations break down. Um, so there is an indication that that's happening. It's very difficult to uh, to prevent it. It's, it's sometimes easy to predict that it's going to happen because, uh, well, you know, there, there are various warning signs that might happen. Uh, negotiations aren't going well. There have been a spate of retrenchments, for example. The, the organization might have indica- indicated that it's, it's really struggling in terms of its profitability and, and increases or bonuses are unlikely to happen. So it is very, very tough to, to predict. And if we take a look at strikes and job security, because, you know, sometimes you'll find a situation where some employees are a little bit nervous to, 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 to participate in the, in the strike and the protest because they're thinking, I, I don't know. I mean, this might jeopardize my position here. Um, let, let's just have a look at that strikes and then uh, job security and how the two are related and or how the, the strike action could impact you as, as an employee who's really just trying to, to keep your position in the, in the company. Yeah, it, it's often very difficult because not everyone wants to participate in the strike and sometimes there are people that do want to participate but feel that it will jeopardize their position and that's particularly when, when you start to get illegal strike action and uh, it, it's dismissible. Um, so you get a lot of scenarios that are very, very difficult and often it causes a split between those that are striking and those that are not which is difficult to repair uh, once the strike action is, is, is over because you've got um, those that are seen to not have supported it or, or betrayed it, and that's sometimes where you get some of the the violence. Um, or you get differences between competing unions, for example, on their on their position. We've just seen it with the student protests, where you know one student group agreed to the the ten point five percent increase, whereas the others didn't. So you get um, a, a lot of conflict between employees that normally would stand together and work together quite harmoniously. And after that, uh, it's quite a difficult situation to repair. Um, now. Um, so let's let's look at then you as an employer. How what what is your advice to employers? Now you find yourself in a situation where a group of your employees are participating in this legal striking st- protest, legal strike action. I mean, what would you advise? Sort of do's and don'ts in trying to contain the situation and getting things back to normal. Um, you know, I understand that there's a right way of doing things and that there's also a wrong way of doing things. So let's go through some of the the things that you could do that are wrong. Um, I, I think to to not take it seriously to some extent is um, is the first comment that might sound quite quite simple, but I think uh, one needs to realize that that strike action can have a devastating impact. On the organisation, because you you know your productivity is down for the period of time that that strike lasts, and um, it's always a lose lose situation. Mm. Those striking lose their wages, the organisation loses its 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 productivity, and so the aim should should be as soon as possible to resolve that situation. And and every impediment um, that's in the way needs to be taken very seriously and and dealt with. So the way in which it's negotiated is absolutely important. Um, uh, you know the word that always comes to mind is integrity to realize that there are differences but the, if you if you if you treat that kind of conflict properly and with integrity your the possibility of resolving it is always going to be better 
Is it very easy in a situation like this for things to very quickly become muddled and grey? Um, you mentioned, you know, the people participating in illegal strikes, illegal protest action. Is it very easy for things to quickly take a turn for the worse where you find employers uh, dismissing employees, even though it is illegal, simply because they're trying to, you know, sort of teach them a lesson or they're trying to get rid of the, the problem causes, so to speak? Is it very easy for that kind of thing to happen? Yes, I think that's where you get uh, um, almost a cycle of violence that inevitably happens. In our society, we are unfortunately a very violent society, and often that then is resorted to because the organisation, if it's an illegal strike, may may then bring in what's often termed scab labour, um, and those that are on strike believe that that they've undermined their cause, and there's a violent response. That's not just a, a South African scenario, but it's prevalent here. Um, you know, would react violently, and that's when you then get criminal activity. The organisation responds with the dismissals because they. As you say, they either want to teach a lesson or they want to try and move beyond it. And it's simply spiral, you know, there's a downward spiral. And the difficulty with it, and Marikani is a good example of that, is even once it's all resolved, um, so much has happened that it's very, very difficult to recover from that effectively. Uh, these days, there isn't really 100% job security, but is there any way to kind of boost? Job security within the workplace, uh, depending on whether you, you know you're the employer trying to make sure that your employees feel, um, you know, that you've got their their best interests at heart, and you know, um, that that you're really trying to do the best that you can uh, for them. Is there is there any way to boost job security with within within companies? I think the most important thing is to look at it from an individual perspective. To say, in today's world, given these realities, um, what do I need to make? Uh, me um, somebody that is the most most desirable employee um, uh, whether that means I remain at this organization or not if I've got a portfolio of skills that is relevant and appropriate in today's world then this organization is, is likely to want to keep me but even if it can't for reasons beyond its control um, economic reasons or whatever it is that I will easily be employable again and that's where the, the difficulty comes in with people that have been with a company for 20 years because often they may be good at their particular job but they, they, they're not up to date with technology for example mm. and then when they lose their job there are a lot of issues um, that make them uh, very difficult to be employed again so to be resilient, to have grit means that you constantly have to look at continuing your education, making sure that your skill set is up to date so if you are an architect for example when you trained it might have been that you you know, you know drew everything um, are you now able to do everything online um, your current job might not require that you do that but have you updated that portfolio of skills so the, the more um, you understand the world of work today and what's required to perform effectively and that the more organizations are going to want to keep you and the more likely it is if you lose your job that you'll find employment elsewhere is is the same true uh, true for for companies um is you know so the reverse of it would be companies uh, do they do they need to make sure that they as a business as a brand are making themselves attractive to to employees whereby you position yourself as a kind of company where people will say, I want to work for those guys. I mean, is, is, that all, is that equally important? Absolutely. And certainly in today's world, your top high-performing organizations compete viciously for uh, for top employees. So they have to offer packages. It's, it's, again, it's not so much about loyalty. It's about being offer, uh, offering all, uh, in employees a good career path, um, good support services. So if you look at organizations like your Google 
for example. Um, what they provide to employees is not, again, um, security of employment, but a really nice employee value proposition. You can worship at work, you can eat at work, you can socialize at work, you can go to gym, you can sleep at work, um, there, you know, you can get psychological support. All of that is, 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 you know, not just your salary is supporting you and attracting you to the organization. None of those organizations are offering lifelong employment and uh, employees don't often don't stay for very long but that's how they that's how you compete um, for individuals people shouldn't be afraid to change jobs in uh, first world economies people are changing not only jobs but careers about five times during the course of their career and that's even a professional like an, a, an attorney or an accountant um, which is really something that wasn't prevalent about 20 years ago and why is that Andrew because you know if you talk to somebody from your parents or your grand- grandparents generation you know their advice would be find a job and stick with it and make sure that you stay there for as long yeah. as you can whether it be 20 years or 30 years but these days that's not the case is it? That's it. Just because the world is changing so rapidly, it's a change is the new normal. And as you know, as human beings, we we social beings, and um, our success depends on our ability to change, uh, to adapt to change very effectively. So the more people are able to embrace change, not resist it. Um, so you shouldn't say, "I'm going to join the bank and I'm going to do everything possible to stay here." You should be saying to yourself, "What can I do in terms of my my career um, and my career path to be able to, to be attractive." to a bank, to be attractive to a, a tech company, to be attractive to a manufacturing service. What is the portfolio of skills that I need in order to do that? Because that's how um, you succeed in today's world. But if you are changing jobs five, six, seven, eight times, is there a risk of you see, coming across as, a, as an unreliable employee in an employer's eyes? You know, they have a look at your CV and they think, but why have you been jumping around from job to job every two years? Well, well changing jobs... Uh, the average is about five times during the course of a career. Uh, career is about 40, 50 years. So that means that you potentially can stay five to 10 years in a job. That's very different to somebody who stays a year or 18 months or the classic sort of two-year scenario, where, which is qualified as job hopping. It's not necessarily saying that you constantly have to seek to change jobs. It's simply saying that that um, because the world of work is so dynamic at the moment, you need to have the versatility to be able to not resist that and do that um, uh, quite easily if you can. Now, a lot of the time when, when a business finds itself in a situation where there is now a strike, the battle lines have sort of been drawn, where it's an us versus them situation, you know, yeah. the employers being the executioners, as you mentioned earlier. But I'm wondering in that volatile, intense situation, if there is still an opportunity for employers to support their striking employees. Is that kind of, uh, pos- is that possible? Is it recommended that you try and show, you know, that you still want to be there for them and you still want to support them and that, you know, you respect them? Or is, is that just a near impossible thing to do in that kind of situation? I think ideally, yes, and I think there are a number of employees that certainly are able to do that because essentially it's like an argument. It's a difference of opinion, and you can agree to disagree and still um, and still deal with that situation with integrity. It shouldn't be that suddenly the employees become like the uh, like lepers. Um, it's very, very important that you maintain, you can say, look, there is a difference of opinion. This is our stance, uh, that we can't afford the wage increase. Your stance is that there's a massive discrepancy in salaries of management and employees. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't still continue to uh, um, to deal with it with integrity. I think as soon as people start to um, to operate outside of the law, um, uh, you know, outside of the, the ambit of what is, is, is professional it becomes very difficult. And what should you be saying to the non-striking employees as an employer? Because they'll be sitting there looking at the situation thinking, 
this thing is this thing is about to fall apart completely. Completely. What sh- what should you be saying? What should you be doing as an employer to your non-striking employees to make sure that you know things continue moving within the business? Just to try and, and um, appreciate what they're doing, and and I think to um, to give them all the help and support that they can that they require. Uh, certainly, the organisation is going to be uh, you know light on hands, and uh, they need to do what they can do. And um, often they need support when it comes, particularly in situations where where they're threatened, uh, to provide them with sometimes in organizations we've seen that they'll make services available, like transport services available to them uh, to, uh, to ensure that they get home safely. So whatever support and appreciation they can provide. Uh, is important, but again, you don't want to try and and fuel um, a, a division between striking and non-striking uh, workers. You've really got to try and make sh- make sure that although there are differences of opinion, that you all belong to the organisation and you can manage that as best as possible. The, the worse it gets, the more difficult it is post-strike action to actually get things back together. Fantastic. Well, Andrew, um, I mean, if, if people are looking for more information, how, how can they get a hold of ICAS South Africa? Um, can, you, can you give us more details on, on that with regards to a website or something? Sure, just info at icas.co.za. Thank you very much for your time. That is Andrew Davies, Managing Director of ICAS South Africa, just giving us more insights into this very tricky uh, situation that I imagine... Um, most of us will have to deal with at least once in our in our lives, you know, throughout the career life. At least once you'll have to do, deal with an uncomfortable situation where, you know, either you get retrenched or, you know, you're an employer who needs to, you know, to deal with a, with a, with a, a strike action at your place of work. Fantastic. Thank you very Thank much, you. Andrew Davies, for joining us this afternoon. Okay, well, that's where I'm going to leave it with you for now. Um, as always, uh, keep it, uh, keep, keep listening to us here on cliffcentral.com. Uh, of course, you can always go to uh, www.cliffcentral.com to download any of the podcasts from any show. Um, it's, it's, it's great to be able to offer you the luxury to listen to us in your own time. So you have that option to do so. Otherwise, uh, I'll be back with you again next week, Thursday, right here on cliffcentral.com. That's Thursday next week, uh, 1 o'clock to 2 p.m. This is cliffcentral.com.